As you're getting your Bibles out and preparing to hear me read our passage for today, I wanted to pause and just express my gratitude not only to the choir, but to Katie Zolni today for your beautiful solo in sign language. So thank you. I was um, very much blessed by the expressions on your face as you really just exuded the joy of the Lord this morning. So I am very, very grateful. Thank you. And then I also wanted to say that often do I get to preach before my mom, and my mom's here today. So mom, it's good to see you today for your being here over the weekend, and I love you, and I'm so blessed to have had you as a mom. And uh, so it's been enjoyable. We went to Charlottesville yesterday and tooled around the campus of the University of Virginia, as I understand the right way to say it, and saw the grounds, Rachel. So... Uh, it, was, it was a great day yesterday. Now we can together draw our attention to Romans chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 16. Hear the Word of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, so these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many form one body, each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is the first in a series of messages this summer on Christian community. We'll 
be focusing on how to strengthen our relationships from some of the principles that we learn from the Apostle Paul and from Christ as we go through this series called Life Together. We'll be focusing on some of the passages in the New Testament that have the words one another in them. Passages like encourage one another, love one another, forgive one another, and so forth. Today's one another passage is in in verse 5 of Romans chapter 12. And to refresh us, it says, So in Christ we who though are many form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. Hence the title for today's message, We Belong to One Another. Outside of the church, we see this kind of belonging. We see it modeled. We often see it in sports. Just this past week, we saw two teams win their particular sport national championship. The Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship, and the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup in the National Hockey League. Toronto won their national champion, their world championship with a former assistant coach, Nick Nurse, and a group of players whom no one would have ever predicted would have won a title. Kawhi Leonard, their star player, was the, is the highest draft pick on the team. He was drafted 15th. All the rest of the players were drafted lower than he was. No one would have expected that particular group of men to win the title. Their team is also very diverse, racially, culturally, socioeconomically. Several of the players lost their fathers at young ages and experienced terrible hardship, yet they are humble. They play for one another. They had the sense of belonging. They had the sense that they are indeed a family. The St. Louis Blues did it with an interim head coach, Craig Berube, and a rookie goalie, Jordan Bennington. In November 2018, the Blues made Berube interim coach for the rest of the season. They were having an awful season. The Blues struggled under his leadership. Starting the 2019 calendar year, they were the worst in the league. No one would have expected that they would win the Stanley Cup. However, they improved, and through the remainder of the season, they went 30-10-5, including a franchise record 11-game winning streak. They won the series over the Boston Bruins 4-3, capping off with an exciting four goals to one win, earning Berube his first Stanley Cup as a head coach. Bennington was called up by the Blues in December, and within a month became their starting goaltender, a rookie His incredible play helped them to go from last place to winning the Stanley Cup. They were a family. They went through hardship. They were a group of of players that no one would have ever expected to win the Stanley Cup. Each of these teams totally and completely embraced the concept of being together, of playing for one another, of being family. The coaches and players were humble. And they did whatever it took to elevate their team to the next game, ultimately to the respective titles. They took what they had learned, most of it from adversity and failure, and put it into practice on the hard court and on the ice. A great way that we can see togetherness and teamwork. But this should not be the only model that our young people have today. 
Sports obviously provide one way to look at success and working together, but I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is the model that the rest of the world needs to see and needs to hear when it comes to relationships, community, and being family together. To put into practice what we learn here out in the world so that others might see what we are experiencing and want to be a part of what God is doing among us. When reading the book of Romans, chapter 12 is where we see this practical application happen. The first chapter, 11 chapters of Romans are more dogmatic, dogma, teaching. And then starting in chapter 12, we see the theological application where Paul is encouraging the Christians to put into practice what he has been teaching them all along. It would enable others to see their faith lived out in real time. One of the first themes that Paul addresses in chapter 12 is that we are one body, that we are in Christ. This is the heart of Christian relationships, to dwell together in community and to do that in humility. I would argue that Dietrich Bonhoeffer embraced this idea of community, Christian community, more than most other modern Christian theologians. He devoted his brief life to the teaching and practice of Christian community. This is what he called doing life together, hence the title for our message series this summer. Bonhoeffer, if you are familiar with him, if you remember, he was born in Germany in 1906 and became a Christian theologian who had influenced the likes of Martin Luther King Jr. and Desmond Tutu, a Lutheran pastor. Bonhoeffer adamantly resisted Nazism and actually took part in a conspiracy to overthrow Adolf Hitler. He was nearly successful, but he was arrested by the Nazis in 1943 and ended up in a concentration camp called Flossenburg. There on April 9th of 1945, sadly, the day before the Allies liberated the camp, the Nazis hanged Bonhoeffer. He left quite a legacy for us, though his life was brief. In the mid-1930s, he was part of an underground seminary to train pastors who would refuse to have anything to do with the German-Christian compromise with the Nazi government. It was during this time that the other 25 pastors, Rachel, 25, that's a cool number, that you're among that 25, among the CBF today. That's kind of neat. Just saw that today. It was during this time that with the other 25 pastors, he came to a true understanding of Christian community. This resulted in his little book, Life Together, written in 1938, translated into English in 1954. If you have a chance to get hold of it, read it. It's a great book. won't take you long to read, but it helps you understand what we're talking about today even more deeply. The very first line of the book reads, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that's the first line from the verse that you heard Debbie read earlier from Psalm 133. Bonhoeffer writes, So between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are, pri are pri privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. Many of us have first-hand experience in, in this Christian fellowship that Bonhoeffer talks about, especially in times of crisis. To that end, Bonhoeffer writes, 
The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Let me read that again. Bonhoeffer writes, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. And I'll post that in the next day or so so that you have that. But over the years of my as a pastor, I have seen this played out over and over again. People have often said to me in their hospital bed, Bob, I don't know how people make it through this without a church. I don't know how they make it through the death of a spouse without the church. I don't know how they make it through a cancer diagnosis without the church. I don't know how people make it through a miscarriage without the church. All kinds of other particular sufferings that people have shared. They know the value of the presence of fellow Christians in good times and bad and understand what life together is all about. You know. And if you're not part of our church, there's something special here about being together and being part of what God has called us to do. And if you're looking for a church home, you will find genuine Christian friendship and community here. And I encourage you to get connected in a a smaller group so that you can begin to experience how God is at work in so many different ways. Bonhoeffer poses two realities about Christian community that are foundational for us. And then I have four things I want to briefly share with you. The two realities of Christian community are first, that it's divine, not just a human ideal. It is divine. That means that the church is not based on what we want it to be or what we think it should be. Rather, it is a reality created by God in Christ where we are able to participate. It is a divine entity. It's not just an ideal. Second reality is it is spiritual. It's not based on human reason or power. It is spiritual. The church is not based on natural urges, Bonhoeffer says, or powers or capacities. Rather, the basis of all spirituality is the clear, manifest Word of God in Jesus Christ. He alone is our unity. Through Him we have access to one another, joy in one another, and fellowship in one another. So it's divine, and it is spiritual, this body. And with these things in mind, let's ask what it means to belong to one another in the church. What does it mean? How is that lived out? Paul uh, says a whole lot in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. And I'd like to focus on four of the things he says. First, if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. It is more than just being together. Verse 5 says that we belong to one another. So it's more than just being together. It's easy, isn't it, for us to confuse because of more along the, the world in which we live. It's easy for us to confuse that being in a room with other people on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is belonging to one another. That's what it means to be a Christian and to be part of the body of Christ. It's easy to confuse going to a class and sitting there and then leaving and going about your day thinking that that's what it's all about. But it's more than just being together in the same room, listening to me talk for 20 minutes, or listening to a lesson in your Sunday school, checking a box, 
maybe putting something in the offering and then going about our day. It is about transformation. It is about being part of something so much greater than we could ever imagine as individuals. The New American Standard says that we are individually members of one another. The Amplified Version, that we are mutually dependent on one another. The King James, everyone are members of the other. And the contemporary English, we are part of one another. This says a whole lot more than just being in a room together, listening to someone speak, and then going about our way. In verse 4, Paul uses a Greek word, melos, which means member or part of the body or limb. So he's saying we are part of a body just as the arms and legs and ears and noses are part of our bodies. The members of this body do not exist in isolation. Just as they are parts of the human body, we are all part of one body, the church. I saw this firsthand last week. Many of you know David Jordan, one of our members. Mother died last Sunday, and he gave me permission to share this with you today. So I went over to his home to pay a pastoral visit, and before we went up to sit on the porch to talk, David gave me a tour of his lovely gardens in his yard. If you want to see somebody doing gardening right, go by David's house. There are zinnias all up and down the driveway. There are beautiful hosta. There are wonderful hydrangeas. There are petunias. He's got a, a beautiful Japanese maple in the center of the yard. And just uh, as we were getting ready to turn, I looked and I saw a huge patch of sunflower plants growing. And I said, David, how'd you get those to grow like that? I have had no luck since I've moved to Chesterfield growing sunflowers. And he started to tell me, and there's the picture of his sunflower patch. Now, they're not bloomed yet, but they will be in another month, he said. He told me that the key is planting them in rich, dark soil and plant them about a foot apart and plant them a whole bunch together. He said there are about 80 plants in his patch. It doesn't look like it, but there are 80 sunflower plants growing in his patch. He said that they, are, um, that they grow up to sometimes 12 feet tall, and he said this, you plant them close together because they support each other. And when he said that, I looked at him. I mean, he knows I'm a pastor. He looked, you know, and he looked at me and he said, Bob, I've already read the sermon title for this Sunday. Like, I know what you're thinking. And I said, David, would you mind if I shared this story? And he said, absolutely not. And I said, could you send me some pictures of the ones that have bloomed last year so the church family can see? And he said, sure. So you'll see those as I talk a little bit more. But he told me that these sunflowers are mutually dependent on each other. They, they uh, grow tall, and because they are mutually dependent, he said when the wind blows, he said they sway together. Like the choir sometimes when they think of spiritual. They sway together, right? And you just imagine that happening. And then he said they grow a large root ball about a foot around, and those roots get intertwined. And at the end of the season when he digs them all up, he says he has to really grapple with those to get them all separated and out of the dirt. He said that a sunflower standing alone often will have to be tied up 
because it will flop over, but a group of them, well, they can withstand whatever comes their way. Many sunflowers joined together find mutual strength, proudly displaying their beauty for all to see. I believe this is a beautiful metaphor for us Christians that we belong to one another, that we connect our root system in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. We support each other. We stand strong together. And when the wind blows, we sway together. We strengthen one another because we belong to one another. Paul says this as well. Be devoted to one another. That means love. He starts out with the word agape love. In verse 10, love must, I'm sorry, in verse 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil. And then verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. And he talks about in this agape love that is sincere, that we are to be devoted to one another. And then he uses a different Greek word that comes from Philos, Philadelphia, brotherly love. This love from God is to be lived out in the church just as families love each other. Brotherly love. It's like the way that parents love their children and husbands and wives love each other. That's what Paul's talking about when we are to be devoted to one another. I am convinced that the reason that people stay as part of a Christian congregation here at Huguenot Road, for example, is because of the quality of the love that they experience in human relationships. Now, people will join a church because they have a great youth program or great choir or wonderful worship, fine preaching, and so forth. But I believe people will not remain in a congregation for these reasons. People remain in congregations, I believe, because they have found loving friendships and loving relationships. This genuine love of Christ in human form. Be devoted to one another. And then Paul says, as we belong to one another, that we are to honor one another. I don't know about you, but I really grow weary of all of the put-downs that we see on television or that we see in our culture, bullying, making people feel less than. And since it's Father's Day, often when you see uh, sitcoms, the, the dad is made to look just like he doesn't even belong on the scene. Sometimes you see that. And that's not what we want to see. We want to see people lifted up, people encouraged people honored because every single one of us has been created in the image of a loving God. God loves and values every single life. And the word he uses here in the New Testament, the Greek, is time. It means that we put others ahead of self. We revere an other. We honor an other. And this concept of sounding Christ himself when Paul writes in Philippians 2-3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That's exactly what Jesus did when he willingly subjected himself to the scorn and shame of the cross. As members of God's church who belong to one another, we honor one another. We value one another. We consider others a pearl of great price, worthy of God's grace and mercy. 
We value the other person as a child of God. And then we also, as we belong to one another, Paul says that we are supposed to live in harmony with each other and be humble. And that's tough today. There's so many different uh, opinions. Some of us have political persuasions that are on one side of the aisle or the other, and it's easy as Christians to get caught up in that and be divided. But as the body of Christ, we are called to live in harmony with one another, to keep the main thing the main thing, and agree to disagree on some things that aren't the main thing, and live and dwell together and belong to this one body of Christ, that we seek to agree together. And being unified as a body doesn't mean uniformity, because we're, as Miss Amanda said, we're not all the same, but it means unity, that we do so in the spirit of humility and in the spirit of grace, that we live harmoniously as the choir so beautifully harmonized today in the anthem and in humility, putting others first. The world goes behind your back. Christians got each other's backs. The world steps on each other. Christians put one another first. The world knocks you down. Christians lift each other up. And this thought of living humbly in this body as we belong to one another, the song Humble and Kind by Tim McGraw comes to my mind. Some of you know it. Here are a few of the lyrics, not all of them. Go to church because your mama says to. Visit grandpa every chance that you can. It won't be a waste of time. Always be humble and kind. Hold the door and say thank, please and say thank you. Don't steal, don't cheat, and don't lie. I know you got mountains to climb, but always stay humble and kind. When those dreams you're dreaming come to you, when the work you put in is realized, let yourself feel the pride, but always be humble and kind. Don't take for granted the love this life gives you. When you get where you're going, don't forget to turn around and help the next one in line. Always be humble and kind. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though we who are many form one body, and each member belongs one to another. Let us pray. So good to be here in this place as part of this beautiful body of Christ. All generations all different kinds of walks of life, different experiences, but the same body. We're thankful to be part of it. Help us to model such devotion and love that it is contagious out in the community and that when people see how we love each other and belong to one another, they will want to be part of that same love and belonging to. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.